Welcome to Studs. I'm Daniel Azar. Studs explores and honors working, but also honors the life's work of the oral historian and legendary Chicago radio host, Louis Studs Terkel. And in my effort to close the social distance, Studs gives me a chance to check in with good, hardworking people and take a deep dive into what they do for a buck. Thank you so much for tuning in and welcome to a very special episode of the podcast. For today, I have the distinct pleasure to be joined by three patrons of the Studs Pod. Now, all three of these distinguished gentlemen went over to patreon.com slash studs to show a little support for my humble project. And I am truly and tremendously grateful for their solidarity. And two of these three patrons have been esteemed guests on this very program. And when I say esteemed, I do indeed mean esteemed. Now, they don't know this. They're going to find out now. But in a recent poll of Studs listeners, two of these fellas occupy the top three listener favorite episodes in Studs history, which is pretty cool. I'll link to the listener poll and the Patreon in the show notes, and I cordially invite my dear listeners to contribute to my little project as they see fit. So we're in for a treat today, but not until I introduce my guests. First, I want to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Eric Spencer. Eric, how's it going? Great, Dan. Thanks for having me back. It is a pleasure to have you. And Mike Mrzinski, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you. And for the first time on the podcast, sort of, sort of the first time, his music has been on the podcast, but he has not. Carl Hauck, welcome. Happy to be here as well. Thanks for having me. Cool. Well, gentlemen, again, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support of the program. It brings me tremendous joy and a a bona fide sense of gratitude that you guys are out there listening, that you care about what I'm striving to do, and that, that you support me. It really does mean a lot to me. So, Thank you for the support, and thank you for being here. I figured just to kick things off, just for fun, I wonder if each of you could briefly describe what you do, and then maybe tell us about the worst or the strangest job you have ever had. Carl, if it's okay, we're going to start with you. What do you do now, and what's the strangest or worst job you've ever had? So now I'm a software engineer, kind of new to that. Uh, I used to be a high school English teacher, and you know, you were one of the teachers that inspired me to get into that. Um, but the worst job I ever had was probably being at Six Flags Great America in the food service. I did that for four <laughs> summers as a as a teen oh. and into college. Oh. I mean, is it as humiliating as I imagined it to be? Completely humiliating. Yeah. And (laughs) there are so many terms you need to pick up. Like instead of just saying service, you need to use things like world-class service. Uh, Like you need to use those phrases, things like that. Well, I hope that the statute of limitations on the non-disclosure form you signed as a minor has elapsed and that you can out six flags uh, for having humiliated you in oh so many ways. 
May I ask you just a quick question about that? Yeah. Did your job have anything to do with funnel cake? You know, like the first day they put me on a, a cotton candy machine. I was, you know, kind of just like in a dark, damp room with <laughs> with this uh, other kid from Ghana. And uh, and he cut his hand inside the cotton candy machine. So the, the blood kind of spurted around a little bit. I always wondered how they achieved that perfect pink color mm-hmm. on cotton candy. That was it. Yeah. Most of it's blue. And then when it goes awry, then that's when it gets pink. <laughs> so you know when you're at Six Flags and your cotton candy is pink, you're probably eating innocent Ghanaian blood. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Spencer, welcome back to the podcast. What do you do and what's the worst or the strangest job you ever had? Yeah, so I am a letter carrier for the United States Postal Service in Burlington, Vermont, and I'm also the president of the Vermont State Association of Letter Carriers, the uh, union for letter carriers. Quickly, the worst job I ever had was working for a a month in the summer, grinding down the rusty insides of the hull of a ferry boat, (laughs) and then then having to paint it afterwards in a full, like, uh, like onesie and then a mask and everything like that. And it was like 90 degrees. Horrible. That was the worst. But the strangest job I ever had would have been when I was 18, had a friend whose father was the inventor and proprietor of a male masturbation machine. Oh, I know where this is going. And uh, he had had a coworker who befriended me and some of our friends and asked me if I wanted to go with him to a convention to help sell this product. And as it turned out, it was a porno convention in Gary, Indiana, under like a big top tent. (laughs) (laughs) And in front of us sat like a doll rod on a plank of wood. And then this machine was put on top of the doll rod. And when you turn it on, it goes up and down. And so I sat at a booth in a convention when I was 18 years old. And um, the gentleman that that brought me on this trip was also of questionable motives. I guess I shouldn't say much about that. Oh, here's what I'll say. There's nothing questionable about his motives, but carry on. Is he still alive? No. So certainly a card carrying NAMBLA member and <laughs> sexual deviant. So that added to the flavor of, uh, of that trip. Well, certainly uh, not to be outdone. Mike, what do you do and what's the worst or strangest job you've ever had? Um, so I'm a operating room nurse at a small community hospital in Chicagoland. And probably the worst job I've had was when I was trying to get into a nursing program, especially when you're coming from like a humanities background, you sort of have to show that you know what you're, you have some idea of what you're getting yourself into. So they want to see some involvement in in the healthcare field. So I got my CNA, which is like a certified nurse assistant certification. And I started working in a nursing home for a little bit. That was probably the worst job I've ever had. It's uh, it's very hard work, um, very high risk, very low reward. And I think like the tipping point for me, I didn't stay there long. I was there for probably a year. But the tipping point for me was probably like in the middle of winter, we had this really bad blizzard where I was. And I'd been there for less than a year as a CNA. And all the other workers there like basically like abandoned me there. Like someone had to stay overnight and like... I don't know who makes staffing decisions, but like when nighttime rolled around, there was no one to relieve me from my shift. Like people called in, they didn't show up. And so I worked the double shift overnight during this blizzard where we had like a skeleton crew. 
the staffing ratios in nursing homes are already like wild and overnight you have like people who are confused getting out of bed and it's just me and maybe one other person trying to keep everyone safe it was just like totally unsafe and shortly after that i put in my notice yeah i mean at that point what else can you do mike i have to say that sounds really traumatic actually i'm really sorry to hear that you had to endure that yeah it was it was like a it was a bad night yeah to say the least all right well thank you all for introducing yourselves what you do and one of the strange chapters in your work histories so on five seasons almost 50 episodes into this podcast and you three you kind souls you've been listening a bit and as a means to help me to sharpen my saw and further the mission of this project, I'd like to hear from you a little bit about what stands out to you from the episodes you've listened to. So would you all be willing to talk a little bit about what episodes or moments stand out to you and, 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 and why? This could be from any season or, or any episode. Would you give me a sense of like what really pops all right, my sex toy slinging friend, Eric, what's a moment that stands out? And is it your own episode? <laughs> I was honored to be on your show. Um, I was talking to my wife about what my favorite show was. And she goes, well, I know what it is because it's the one you always tell people about when you're trying to explain the show. It's a recent one with Julian, the concierge. Yes. I absolutely love that episode. Personally, I've always been kind of mystified by the concierge. And always thought, that's the coolest person in the room. I, when I was a kid, my parents traveled a lot. And I was lucky enough to go to some nice places with them where there was concierges and stuff like that. And I remember my parents going up to him and like, next thing you know, there's tickets for this. And here comes the car. And, and I was like, this person is the most powerful person <laughs> there is. And um, I just thought Julian was just great and had a great personality, certainly for that job. And there's one job that, um, that you've delved into concierge is one that I always thought I would want to do. Yeah. And so it was kind of living vicariously through Julian. Yeah, I was living vicariously through him too, I have to say. A fun little uh, inside baseball on that episode. Julian was kind enough to send our conversation to one of his colleagues at Le Clay d'Or, which is kind of like the union of global concierges. And I learned just the other day that the QR code to the episode was posted in the most recent edition of the industry newsletter. So that episode, funnily enough, got mad listens, mostly from concierges around the world. And if the concierges who listened to it got the sense that you and I got, which is like their work is being honored and they got to feel good about their work just a little bit more for one day, then I'll, I'll call that a stud success. But totally, Julian was... A real pleasure. Mike, is there an episode that stands out to you? I think from from this season, the one that has kind of s stuck in my head is um, actually the first one with uh, Justin Jackson. I think there was like a lot of meta job reflection, like the analogies about surfing and margin, I think are things that I have fi find myself thinking about more after having listened to it and like applying it to my own situation. Pretty charismatic guy too, huh? 
definitely. Yeah, he was a pleasure to have on. Carl, we'll have you take the third spot. All right, great. Hard to pick just one. I think a couple of early favorites. One of them is uh, Eric's episode. I just really loved how you were able to to dive into kind of the material details of your job and of your day-to-day. And I know that some jobs might be more conducive to that, but I, I loved how that played out in your episode. Jocelyn Gonzalez, the earth medicine facilitator from season two, I think. Yes. Uh, I just thought that that conversation was so intimate and beautiful and, and loved the way that it delved into the spiritual realm. I think I'd also <laughs> pick Justin Jackson and, and Julian from, from the most recent season. And I think one other one from the most recent season was, uh, was Kayla Ming's episode. Um, I went to high school with Kayla, but I was I was younger and didn't know her personally. I only kind of knew her from afar as a, a fierce competitor on the basketball court. But there was so much openness and uh, and vulnerability and, and passion in that conversation. And it was, you know, one of those instances where I was like, you know, there's a person that's not only doing what they're meant to be doing, but also doing incredibly important work. So I, I loved that one. I love it, too. And I'm perfectly willing to share with you something of a humbling secret. If not in the actual recording of the discussion, almost always in my editing and re-listening to discussion with all of my guests, I find myself getting emotional, usually choking up, and often I, I end up in tears for various reasons. Kayla's episode... When we were recording, you know, she's so intense. I was just kind of like trying to mirror her intensity. And I was, you know, sort of gripping my seat. And I was just trying to like share space with her, just like be there with her. But when I went through the first edit, I was swimming in a pool of my own tears. Not because she was saying anything particularly sad, but just because there are people like her in the world that are doing that work. And Carl, listeners should know if they haven't listened to that, to that episode, of course they should. But one of the reasons they should listen to it is because you, Carl, were willing to share a track off of your then just released album, your band Sun Jacket. So I swear that's not why I picked that episode. <laughs> <laughs> And I appended the track that you shared to the end of that episode. What she says at the very end, when that fades into your track. Look, I don't know how long this podcast is going to last, but that will go down as one of my favorite moments in Studs Pod history, regardless of what happens heretofore. Okay. So because you all are patrons of the podcast... I feel obliged to offer you the opportunity to explore any curiosities you might have about the podcast with me. Are there any questions that you all have about the the podcast, the the process, the fears and hopes and feelings around it, or how or why I I do what I do? Carl. This is a more technical question, but one that hopefully 
honors the the labor that you personally put into this podcast. I know you spend probably several hours editing each episode of, of Studs, and I was kind of wondering how many minutes on average you typically cut out of each conversation to boil it down to that solid hour-long conversation. And do you find yourself mostly cutting out longer, tangential, or redundant sections, or are you also doing a lot of zeroing in on on the minute details, you know, for instance, like slicing out ums and, and likes. Yeah. So I do two edits of each episode. And the first edit is the ums and the uhs and the likes. And I always invite my guests to leave space before they respond. Just take time to think. And in the excitement around the conversation, oftentimes they don't. So sometimes I have to go back and help them to clean up what they said. Because the podcast is built around the idea that everyone has an important story and that everyone's work is important, and I'll even say equally important, and that everybody's work is interesting, and I'll even say equally interesting. But it's also the case that the people who I interview, by and large, are not professional talkers. Many of them have never been on a microphone. And particularly in the early stages of a conversation, you know, the first two or three or four questions, there's often a lot of editing that needs to be done in order to fulfill my mission of honoring their work and bringing out the best in what they have to say. Right. And then I do a second edit, which is really just, you know, putting a little lipstick on it, making sure I didn't mess anything up you know, smoothing out the cuts a little bit and, uh, you know, just putting a little little makeup, little mascara and uh, ensuring that I didn't somehow destroy the thing. And that's happened, like where I've realized that like, oh man, I, in my first edit, I accidentally cut out like six minutes and I always have a second copy of the file and I'll put that back in. So I would say that the average episode is a 90 minute conversation that I get down to about 60 minutes, and that usually takes me about eight hours per episode. I think that's the answer to, to your question. And, and I will say this, by the way, in a way that's like the grind of the work and that's the drudgery of it, but also what that allows me to do is to really, truly hear not just what they said, but very slowly I get to hear precisely what they were trying to say. Like I get to really meditate on the tone and the nuance. And I've learned a ton doing this. Uh, and in that way, this is a very kind of like selfish endeavor. So that's my answer to your question, Carl. Mike, do you have a, a, a question about the podcast? Uh, first, I just wanted to say about the, the previous thing that like I personally was really impressed with your editing when I heard the final product. And I, I felt like you were really charitable with me. And I mean, it literally felt like a gift and I was really grateful for it. Thanks, Mike. But I wonder, like, have you ever, do you ever think like maybe all this working isn't good? Like, cause I, I know the the goal of studs is like, you know, to explore and honor working, but so much of work is like, like, first of all, I don't think, most people on the planet need to work as much as they do. I don't think it's good for the planet for people to work as much as they do. Yeah. Yeah, I just wonder, 
I guess, do you ever step back and wonder maybe like work isn't the whole story or maybe even the most important story of like what humans are doing on the planet? Yes, I do. And I will tell you kind of how I came around to this thing and perhaps it will, you know, shed uh, some insight. I wanted to start a podcast because in the early stages of the pandemic, I wanted to connect to people who I love and cherish and enjoy. I wanted to give them something to look forward to. I wanted to give them a bit of an escape. And I wanted to give them a voice. I wanted regular people to have their voices magnified, if only to do my small part to drown out celebrity pablum and political tomfoolery. And so I knew I wanted to do that. And in thinking about what I could or should make a podcast about, I figured that the easiest and perhaps best thing I could do was to go with what I know. And what I know best, for better and for worse, is work and working. But with that said, when I'm doing it right, I don't really feel like my podcast is that much about work. I feel like it's about motivation, emotion, human connection, stories. So I pursue those things while running the risk of sending the wrong message, which is the message that you're asking me to talk a little bit about. I have another podcast. Uh, it's called Ideas, Identity, Diversity, Empathy, Awareness, and Service. And I do that podcast with my students, right? We try to promote what we call a safe but a challenging space to discuss issues around diversity and identity. I have another podcast about politics and governance, so this podcast is the space I've created to connect to people about the thing that perhaps, unfortunately, a lot of people are most comfortable conversing about. And um, all of that said, Mike, dude, I totally hear what you're saying. I might have this thing all wrong. I'm talking about working as a means to talk about other things. If I find a better pathway to connect with people... I will do that in addition to or in lieu of studs. And if you, sir, have any ideas for me, I trust you wholeheartedly. Let's talk about it. All right, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what you're saying makes sense. I mean, it's like using kind of work as like a gateway to get people to open up because so much of our lives are bound up in work. And like that's, I mean, I think that's obviously problematic because your job won't love you back. But like it is a way because it touches everything because it invades every aspect of most people's lives. It's a way of like getting into those places where they might be more guarded or less, less inclined to like jump on a podcast to talk about. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that there's some like sleight of hand. Yeah. I share your concern, man. Totally. I'm going to think about it a lot more. And if I come up with a better answer, I'll either send you that or my resignation letter. <laughs> no, you don't need to do that. You can just ignore me. No, I, I could never. I could never. Eric Spencer, my friend, do you have a question about the podcast? So you said about 50 episodes. 
Uh, you're forced to close up shop after this. Did you succeed in doing what you wanted to do with this podcast? Wow. That's a tough question. And thank you for it. This podcast has brought me tremendous joy. It's given me an opportunity to connect with people who I admire, including the three of you. Like this podcast literally put me back in touch with the three of you. I hadn't spoken to Mike Merzinski for, I don't know, 17 years. I saw Carl once in 17 years. Eric, you and I had fallen out of contact. And this podcast connected me not just to you three, but to, to others. And that, particularly in the context of pandemic life, felt so good. And I'd like to think moreover that in connecting with friends from around the world, I was also able to connect them to other people who are part of my orbit. There are things I would have done differently, for sure. But generally, I, it has felt really good. I'm very proud of what I've done so far. And while I'm not going to give myself an A+, I feel reasonably confident that I feel like I've succeeded. And I will say that I have a hard time saying that about most other aspects of my life. So maybe this is a huge success. <laughs> and look, and just one more thing. And even, even if not, I I'm doing it. I'm trying. I'm really trying to do my best. I will definitely give myself an A for effort. And uh, that's got to count for something. So listen, fellas, this podcast is at a turning point. There's a lot of big decisions and small decisions that I'm grappling with. And since y'all are regular listeners of the podcast, patrons indeed, I have a couple questions for you. You ready? Hit it. Let's do it. Okay. So I did this listener survey and I got a pretty respectable response from the listeners. Thank you to all who responded, I should say. And one of the questions on the survey was, should I continue to do what I'm doing and publish podcasts weekly, or should I go every other week? And I asked that because I have the sense from listeners that they have a hard time keeping up. There's a lot of content out there. They're busy people. 78% of listeners to this point say that I should go every other week. My question for you, are they right? I think it. I think it depends on kind of what your vision is and what your plan trajectory is. Like if this is a project where you can kind of see the, the terminating point, then maybe it makes sense to, to go hard and, you know, get those episodes out there and move on to the next thing. If it's something that it's more of a marathon and not a sprint, like if this is something that is kind of open-ended and you're not sure where it's going or how long it will go, then spacing them out more gives you time to breathe and to think about bigger picture issues like where you want it to go or who you want to talk to next 
And then also from a listener perspective, it gives your your listeners more time to digest what you are producing, to be kind of waiting for the next thing. So I, I could see either way. I think it boils down to what you want to be doing. Thanks, man. Eric, what's your take? I, I, I'm with the 78% of listeners for the semi-weekly. One, after listening to your Q&A with Scott Robin, which was awesome, and hearing you discuss editing uh, today, it's a lot, yeah. man. And you, you have a full-time gig, and I just found out you have two other podcasts. <laughs> so you might need to slow your roll a little bit. Um, and as you mentioned, there is a ton of content out there. I listen to like six hours of maybe eight hours, some days of podcasts, and I can't get at everything I want to listen to, you know? So with you spending so much time in editing, give yourself a bit of a break. You're doing wonderful. I didn't ask you if you thought this show was a success. If I didn't think it was a success, I think your show is a success and you got your listeners. We love you. Don't kill yourself over it. And uh, like Mike said, I think if you give yourself a little time to think things through a little longer, have more time to prepare for interviews, that could possibly uh, help. All right. As a matter of fact, I would just say you fellas convinced me. It will give me the reprieve that I think I need. All right. I'm doing it. Starting this season, I'm going every other week. You both literally not only convinced me, but you made me legitimately confident that at least in the short term, that's the right move. Another question that I brought to the listeners in the survey is the problem of the name. And I'm sure being thoughtful people, all three of you have given some consideration to the fact that I have a podcast called Studs. The name is a little bit problematic, right? Studs has a certain connotation. It has a couple of connotations none of which I'm particularly trying to advocate for. As I said in the Q&A episode with Scott, I named my podcast after this guy, Studs Turkle, because I didn't have the courage to put my name on the product. Having done it for a year, I'll still love Studs Turkle, but I don't have to have my podcast named after him. I put it out to the listeners if they thought I should change the name from studs to twerking with an O, which I thought was genius. And every time I bring it up to someone, they chuckle. But basically none of the respondents of the survey thought it was a good idea. Something like 8% of people are like, yeah, go with twerking. So that doesn't solve my problem. <laughs> Once again, twerking does not solve my problem. You all are regular listeners to the podcast. Got any ideas for a new podcast name? I will legit change the name of this podcast like today if you can give me a name that's convincing. I'm a I'm a vehement no to twerking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I hear you on the the problematic nature of studs. I I'm okay with keeping it because it's almost sort of like a, a, a reappropriation of it, but I know that for people who are discovering the podcast for the first time, they might not listen to it because of that. I think for a podcast, you can kind of extract um, a simple phrase, uh, something like working lives uh, from your current title, or something like for a living. Those are just a couple of things that came to mind for me, but I would also be totally fine with keeping studs. I really like the sound of for a living. Yeah, because I think it also sort of acknowledges what, what Mike was talking about, that we do this 
because we have to, <laughs> but also it's inextricably a huge part of our lives, you know, working. And so I think it might be an interesting name. Any other proposals from my fair patrons? I like studs because I love studs Turkle. I get the problematic part of it. I don't agree that it's problematic, but that's another conversation. Um, sorry, Dan, twerking is ridiculous. <laughs> and there's two people that live in my house and they both say, Jesus, no. And t- and speaking of problematic, I, I, my wife said, well, I picture Miley Cyrus in booty shorts shaking her stuff, which may be more problematic than the word studs. I suppose I should confess at this point that I have a pretty clear vision of the twerking podcast logo, which of course is me in jean cutoffs riding the wrecking ball. (laughs) You know what? I might have changed my mind. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. And uh, as a name idea, you say it in your opening uh, every week for a buck. Hey, for a living, for a buck. I love it. Mike, you want to chime in? You got an idea? You're a creative fella. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I understand the concerns also. And like in an earlier episode this season, you were talking about like search engine optimization. And when you search studs, like a bunch of stuff comes up, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> so I can see how like even just like for someone trying to locate the podcast, uh, the name can represent a barrier, but I'm, I guess I'm also feeling a little conservative in this area where like you're five seasons in and maybe the next project you are more conscientious about naming, you know, but (laughs) changing it now is just like, I don't know. Can I just say how proud I am to have brought out the conservative <laughs> angel in Mike Brzezinski's nature? I will send you the your subscription to the National Review. Sounds good. Okay. So kids, as you know, because you're regular listeners, the next season begins next week. And in that season, I'm going to explore the working lives of my colleagues in education from the counseling office to the custodian's office, from early elementary teachers to public intellectuals. We're gonna talk education. And after that, we're going to pivot to a season about the working lives of artists. And that takes us to 2022. But for this project to succeed, I think it really takes a long-term vision. Let me ask you, if you could have a theme season of the Studs podcast. What would that theme be and why? Eric, you want to tee it off? Yeah. Um, I know you talked about it again in the in the uh, Q&A with Scott. I really uh, like an idea of some more blue-collar interviews. Trucker, construction worker. Also, another option that I really like is no theme. I kind of dig when it goes, this week we're at Hollywood Executive. Next week, you know, it's strip club DJ to concierge. I I like that. You never know what what it's going to be this week. It's kind of fresh and uh, keeps it entertaining. Yeah. I don't want to lose that. Mike, help me out. What's your vision? Well, I think one thing is the nature of work is in a state of flux right now. Like a lot of what people are doing to make ends meet 
is changing. A lot of it is much more like contingent and itinerant. And I mean, I think there's, there's for, for people who benefit from these kinds of arrangements, there's like a narrative that this sort of like liberates workers and people are free to, you know, arrange their day and make money on their schedule and stuff like that. But I guess it would be interesting to, and this doesn't have to be a whole season, but it would be interesting to talk with someone who is like, for whatever reason, thoroughly involved in the gig economy and the thought has crossed my mind. And one thing that made me more committed to do it than I previously was, is that our very own Carl Hauk wrote a hilarious piece about his time working as an Uber driver. Was it a Lyft driver or an Uber driver, Carl? I forget. It was, it was all of the above. <laughs> and that was so great. I'll link to it in the show notes. More people have to read that. Uh, a season with so-called gig workers. I'm in. Carl, do you have an idea of what the future of this thing could smell like? Yeah, I, I like Eric, also love the variety, but, but I do like the idea of these uh, thematic seasons. And, and one idea I had was um, one called Behind the Scenes. And I know you're doing uh, one on artists soon, but I think it would be interesting to do one on uh, these workers or laborers who are creative adjacent or creative supporting. Um, yes. So in in music alone, you know, you have producers, mixing engineers, mastering engineers, uh, lacquer cutters, booking agents, uh, managers, talent buyers, sync licensors, you know, all that stuff that the list goes on. And I think it would be, really fascinating to hear from all the people who make a creative product possible because I think they often, you know, get left in the, in the shadows and are, are not as heralded as they should be. Can I just say, I adore all three of your ideas. Unbelievable. I am so grateful that y'all are sharing this with me. I think you genuinely just scripted out chapters of this story. Thank you, one and all. With that said, I want to pivot a little bit because you all have been listening to this podcast about work. All three of you have made serious pivots, career changes in your time. I think that the three of you have wisdom about work and about work in an American context. And so I want to ask you, what do you think American culture, as you understand it, gets all wrong about work? So much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just read this, uh, this book called Psychopolitics by Byung Shul Han. Uh, and uh, he, he had this phrase uh, talking about the imperative of boundless optimization. Um, and he talks about that at the same time as, as labor is becoming more and more superfluous, uh, you know, due to AI and robots and such. And yeah, I think America is just so obsessed with hustle to the detriment of so many aspects of not only our, our individual lives, but also the, the health of our larger society. And I think that Americans tend to see not only work ethic, but also job titles and economic status through this moral lens. And 
that's how we continue to justify a violent neglect of, of lower class laborers and their families. You know, and it, it leads to people needing to work two or three jobs just to make ends meet. And, and that's obviously not healthy. We need to think about how to dignify all forms of labor. Splendidly said. Thank you so much, Eric. What really bothers me with the state of work in America right now is that big business leaders and politicians have successfully scared American workers away from unionism. And it's just a shame that those who need it the most are being exploited by Congress and their bosses, and they don't even see it. It's amazing how many people who are struggling with their jobs are struggling financially. Those same people are afraid of union jobs because they're being told that that's evil. Yeah, man. Mike? Ultimately, in, in America, you have this like nonstop valorization of work. And it, it's probably not just in America, but where um, to, to have work and to do work is to have social standing. It's to be able to participate in this in society. And if you don't have that, then you're like, you're kind of ostracized. Someone who doesn't work and is on some kind of social support is just not considered. And I guess I think that having, have, you know, having worked, I would say that there's, there's nothing like honorable or praiseworthy about destroying your mind, body, or your spirit for like a little bit of money. Like there's a lot of ways of making money in the world. I can do what I do because I feel like I'm doing something like socially necessary and socially useful. But at the same time, I'm making someone else who's not doing that work a lot of money. I guess the reason why I do what I do is because I think it's it's important, but I'm not going to like destroy myself to do it in this system, you know. That's perfectly respectable. And I hope that you don't. I hope that you stick to that. Particularly being a nurse in the throes of a pandemic. The opportunity to destroy yourself for the work presents itself on a near daily basis. Also, Mike, what you are saying is critically important. And frankly, I wish someone had said some version of that to me when I was younger. Look, I'll confess that I fetishized and perhaps on some level still fetishize work. And this goes back to you know, Mike, your previous question about why this theme. So much of my life has been wrapped up in work. You know, I told the story on the first episode how my father forged my birth certificate when I was 12 and a half so I could work at a hot dog stand called Uncle Freddy's Red Hots, right? Or a pink shirt that said, eat here or we both starve. And ever since then, I've careened from job to job to job. And I've had the same job now for 20 years and when I moved to Europe, I, in some ways, recalibrated my thinking about work. Anyway, I wish what you said, Mike, someone had said to me 
when I was 18. And I will tell you that I have a fair number of 16 to 25-year-old listeners. So can you fellas guide them? What would you want to tell your 18-year-old self about how to engage with work? Eric? I know this sounds totally corny, but really find something that makes you extremely happy and fulfilled. Try, try to find a way to wake up every day excited about where you're going. Don't do it for the money. Oftentimes the money will come if you're very passionate about what you do and you really immerse yourself into something that you love. Oftentimes the money will follow. When I graduated from college and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life, I took a job as a letter carrier and I thought it would just be for a little bit. And I realized, oh my God, I love this. I jump out of bed in the morning and I can't wait to go to work. And so I don't care what I get paid. It's made my life that much better. Right on, man. And it doesn't sound corny to me. It sounds heartfelt, earnest, and it's meaningful. Thanks for sharing it. For me, I think I'm still learning a lot about work and at figuring out what I would tell myself as an 18-year-old. I think in some ways, I, you know, part of me wants to say that your work doesn't define you, that you are not your job. But then in other ways, I, I think you really should strive to, to be doing something that you're proud of um, and that you're okay with it in, in some ways defining you. But yeah, I, I think just find something you enjoy doing, but also set some healthy boundaries to make time for the people that you care about and the things you enjoy doing outside of work. Because if you don't have time for that, then what's the point of working at all? Yeah. Carl, I should confess here that I have this perhaps cockamamie idea of doing a season of the Studs podcast called Second Takes. And it's about people who have made profound career transitions. And so far, about like 70% of the reason I want to do that season is so that you could be on the first episode. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Mike, can you advise the youngins? I agree a lot with what Carl said. I think it's a lot about finding work that is interesting to you, not harmful to you, and not so onerous that there's nothing outside of it. Like it happens for some people, but I, for myself, I'm pessimistic about finding like work that doesn't feel like work, you know? Yeah. What I'm pursuing in my own life more is just like the possibility of like work minimization. So like work for me is something that makes other stuff possible. And as long as you control it and don't let it take over everything else, then you have a lot more opportunities for self-creation. When you start thinking like, I need a job that will let me be who I truly am. Like you set yourself up for disappointment because I mean, first of all, it's not in your control. You don't control your job. Usually. I mean, even someone who runs their own business is uh, at the mercy of a much larger system. So even if you have something you really like, you could lose it just as quickly. And I think like durable happiness is it comes through controlling the things that you can control and you can't control your job. You can't control your boss. You can't control the economy. Yeah, I hear you. You know, as Carl was saying, they have all of these treatises on work optimization. 
But Mike, I think work minimization for most of us might be most advisable. Despite me having a podcast about work and working. Mike, Eric, Carl, this has been a remarkably fruitful conversation. I learned a lot from you. I enjoyed our conversation tremendously. I'm so grateful that you all participated in this working roundtable. I'm grateful that you listen to the podcast, that you care about the podcast, that you're patrons of the podcast. This has been a real treat for me. You made me feel so good. You not only made my day, you made my week. I'm glowing with positive energy. I'm so thrilled to have been able to share some space with you, to talk about my project with you, and to just connect. So thanks for being here. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having us. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. Nice meeting you too.